Hi everyone, it's Lauren Hawker-Zaffer. Welcome back to Redefining AI, the tech podcast. Jeff, you are a chief technology evangelist with 25 years of experience in IT. What is it that excites you most about technology? Well, you know, I'd love to put my finger on one thing. And, and and at the end, Lauren, and by the way, thank you for having me on the show. I'm delighted to be here. But as a technologist, and I've always been a technologist, it's always excited me. When I was a little kid, well, my dad, his whole life was spent working for IBM, and he was always coming home and telling us the stories, whether it was the very beginning of his career where he was coming home with punch cards for us to color on as little kids. And I was fascinated with the fact that they could do something with a machine to, you know, whatever it is, waking up in the morning. In fact, you know, today I get up at 5.20 in the morning to do my exercise and afterwards, you know, sit down with an iPad to see what the news is of the day. And it's all AI. And, you know, as somebody who has spent his career working in and around different types of technology, and a lot of it has been collaboration technologies, helping people work better together. The reality is, is I've often felt like I was, you know, I had this solution that I had to walk around and convince people they had a problem so that they would want my solution. But AI has really opened up that window wide where people are actually demanding and looking for ways to be able to apply it. And that's causing, you know, so much opportunity in and around, you know, you've got to do the digital transformation. We've got to have that house in order before you can truly take advantage of all the goodness that AI brings. But boy, every morning there's something new. Fascinating. And I second the fact it's wonderful that we have you here on the show today and we can certainly explore a lot of topics that are of ever-growing importance to both myself, to yourself and to our audience today. So I think that you've told me a little bit about your dad and he had an influence on your affiliation, your identification with technology and being a technologist. But also when I asked you that question, you know, what excites you most about technology and then we moved on to being a technologist what's your own connotation or what do you draw up there as well when when someone says technologist <laughs> lauren no one has ever asked me that question before and i i get a lot of opportunities to talk to people what does it mean to be a technologist you know i think at the heart of it is i look for ways to apply technology to solve everyday problems whether that is how do I help, you know, 30,000 people in an organization work better together? Or you're going to laugh at me, Lauren, or how do I get my chicken coop to be automated so that when I'm not here, it's secure and safe at night and I've got all the right cameras and sensors to know that the chickens are safe? I mean, I'm solving problems for myself with it and I'm helping to solve problems in large enterprise. And I think that that's actually an important transition because you're in a mind state where you've you've said here that you know you're trying to identify opportunities to ensure that your chicken coop is safe at night and this mindset might be aligned with your own embodiment of being a technologist and you're trying to help people solve everyday problems and the topic that we are tackling today that we're going to look at is obviously how c-suite members c-suite executive suites are also looking at addressing the developments of technology, the development of the technology market. Do you think that you need to nurture this sort of mindset? Do you think everyone has a similar mindset of being a technologist in their everyday life, that people look for opportunities of automation, that people look for ways that they can integrate emerging tech, existing tech into their everyday lives? 
So Lauren, the way you asked that question, now I'm completely associating the chicken coop with the C-suite. In fact, I'm renaming the chicken coop the C-suite because there are a lot of parallels between those chickens in the C-suite. Interesting. Yeah, let's let's find that one. I joke a little there, but I really am going to call it the C-suite. So that's a great question. And I don't think so. I don't think that everyone is 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 as blessed or as cursed. I don't know what the right, right word is there. To, to look to technology to solve problems and do things different. And that's it's been that way up until this year. 100% it's been that way up until this year. I can think about conversations, you know, with, with small departments. I can think about conversations literally at the boardroom and in the C-suite, whether it's our company or other companies, saying, look, this is the way you've been doing things. This is another way to do things. This is the investment to make it happen. This is the payoff to make it happen. And that has been a learned conversation over the past, you know, 20, 25 years of my technology career here until this year. And it all changed this year. The line I use a lot of times with folks is we woke up from the parties of January 1st back to work on January 2nd. And all people could say was chat GPT. Mm. And at that point, the world had a tangible example of how they could use technology to solve real problems. They could, they could have a question. They could type it in. They could get an answer. And all of a sudden, the light bulb started going off. The light bulb started going off and not just how could we ask questions about our daily lives, but then it was the springboard to, well, if I can ask a question about that, then why can't I ask a question about my sales data and get answers in real time and not have to wait a week or two weeks or a month until the next review of sales? And I ask the question and then the, the BI folks, the analysts come back in with their answers. Or I've, I think about this new contract we might be writing with a partner and then, well, what terms have worked well and what are those results over time with other contracts with partners? These are the perfect questions to be able to ask of your own data. And that is what's really spurred everyone's attention. They're looking at it. If you, I just read this morning that yesterday, Andy Jassy in the quarterly earnings for Amazon said that Every department across the entire company is looking to generative AI to do their work better, whether that's customer facing, whether that's supply chain, whether that's customer interaction, whether that's just one team working better with another team. The challenge is out there and he's empowered them to say, use this technology to make us better. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly. never, yeah. ever happened before. Think about the cloud revolution, Lauren. So 2015 comes along and everybody's, you know, starting to really move in hardcore out into the cloud. It still took a little arm twisting. It still was a conversation at best at the uh, CIO or maybe CTO who then had to go and sell the CEO on it. Now the entire C-suite and boardroom is, are having these conversations and challenging the rest of the organization. Yeah, that's a good a good point for further discussion then. So you're saying that in 2015, the cloud revolution, it was still very much a conversation between the CTO, the CIO, who was convincing the CEO. That's and right. you're saying that this is not the case with generative AI, that there's immediate understanding from all C-suite members of the capabilities and capacity to enable employees, organizations to be more productive, to do the work better. Is that right? Well, I'm painting with a really broad brush here. And of, of course, course, the example yeah. I'm using is Andy Jassy, one of the largest technology companies in the world. Yeah. But I think it's also the North Star. And when we go to have the conversations with any of the C-suite and any organizations, they at least get it at a cognitive level 
And if you have to do any work, if I have to do any convincing, it's to help them make that connection between, hey, you can use generative tools like this, not just to plan a vacation, but actually to plan a go-to-market. Ooh, tell me about that. And so the farther that folks go down that road of realizing that AI, it's here to stay. It is absolutely not going anywhere. And it is advancing at lightning speed, that it is a tool to be utilized. And so what we find is those companies that are transforming quickly are the ones that at the C-suite has spent some time, brought in some folks to help them understand it better, and are enabling their people and their organizations to to utilize these tool suites. Mm -hmm. Let's take a step back a minute then. If we go back to the actual cloud revolution, so 2015 and now we're in 2023. And if we want to focus on supporting the C-suite members when navigating the intersection of cloud and AI, I think it's good to look at the use of the word cloud in its presence. So, you know, we've got public cloud, we've got private cloud, we've got cloud optimization, we've got multi-cloud, we've got hybrid cloud enablement. They're just some of the cloud compounds that I've picked out. Where is the cloud market at the moment and how has it changed, you know, in the last few years? Well, so great question. So so if we go to, in fact, let's rewind just even a tiny bit farther, maybe to 2011, 2012. And that's when Amazon's really starting to sell hard in this cloud space. And I, I think of these times because I was young at Rackspace at that point. I joined in 2008. And I can remember in that first year, so it was somewhere between eight and nine, and the CEO, Landon Napier at the time, came walking down and he was he was a big proponent of, of that whole management by walking around. And he had just come from a leadership meeting. He had this stack of papers in his hand that he was sort of smacking on desks as he went by. And he says, this, this is what we have to watch out for. This is how we have planned for it. And it was a paper that came from a company of a business school colleague of his that that had been running this this online bookstore. That's right. Mm-hmm. It was it was very early Amazon where they took their own store stuff and turned it into a, a, an offering that could be used. And so in those early days, people were tentative. They played, they put new workloads out there. It was, it was easy stuff. You get to 2015 that I mentioned before, people are sort of convinced and now they're looking to these clouds. Absolutely, Amazon, Azure, and Google's really just starting to get their toehold in. Um, But they're looking to them as a way to optimize infrastructure, I think is the best way. If I'm going to, again, I'm painting with broad brushes this here today. And but it but not necessarily be crazy innovative at 2015, but now you get to 17, 18, and now we're starting to read all those articles about about how Netflix is doing their chaos engineering, how they're doing recommendations. And now we're realizing that there's a huge amount of innovation that can be happening at scale in these clouds, and and people start to adopt that. But then we get to 2020 and COVID, you know, rears its head. And at that point, the world realizes that they have to get their data and their applications into a location that's outside of the four walls because no one can go inside of these their four walls anymore. And so this massive amount of digital transformation, or at least moving, happens. In fact, if you go to any of the cloud providers in that second quarter of 2020, they all said effectively the same thing. We've seen three years of digital transformation in three months. Fascinating, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. 
And, uh, and then we get to 2022 and then people are going, the cloud bills are sort of nuts and we've got to get some control over that. And we've done all this transformation, which they didn't. They just moved their data. There was just mostly it's, it's VMs running out in these environments. Some did. I'm a proponent of using that as a strategy. So long as if you're going to the cloud, you're going to optimize for the cloud. But if you're just running infrastructure in the cloud that could run in a private cloud, well, then, you know, there's some cost savings to be had by going to a private cloud. So mm-hmm. I say this, this environment right now of a lot of, a lot of right sizing. But Lauren, this whole, you know, last little bit has all been a conversation about infrastructure primarily. And that's where things changed this year when we had a use case that everyone that could universally grab onto, and that is AI in all of its forms. And let's just use generative AI, which I've been using as the example, asking questions of your data, getting an answer so that you can be faster, better, cheaper, more innovative than other companies. And that's the big tipping point, Lauren. And I think that we'll never go back from this tipping point because now the world, ideally, and the C-suite is looking at technology as a capability not as this, I have to have infrastructure to run my applications. There's a very different mindset there. And what is that difference in mindset? Well, one of it is utilitarian. If mm-hmm. it's infrastructure, I have to have the infrastructure to run my database. I have to have the infrastructure to run my website. I have to have the infrastructure to fill in the blank. As opposed to, I want to engage with my customers in a new and dynamic way that is more efficient, more engaging, and more personalized. That's a different conversation than, can I get three cents off my VM charge? And there's a lot of talk. I mean, I think that the intersection, as you've outlined, of or the advancement, especially in this last year, in AI and cloud technologies, it's really reshaping, as you've mentioned, this competitive landscape across all of the industries. Do you see one particular industry where it will be an easier hit to look at the capabilities that are now offered between this intersection. A lot of people talk about the fact that, you know, chatbots as they existed in a customer service set in the customer service industry, they're they're no longer regarded as a previous status, but there's a whole new level that has been enhanced because of this rapid advancement and the capabilities that are now offered. Is that something that you've also seen mirrored or do you have a different input based on your own experience and working in that data-driven business landscape with the, the intersection? Well, it's a good question. And I think that what you see in a customer service layer industry is that, is that you see a continued advancement in the capability that's, that's been there. Think about customer service, the chatbot type thing. These have been strategies to try to lower cost. How can I have less people, you know, with headsets on in these farms of cubicles helping to serve people? But can we do that? cheaper. So we're seeing advancements there and it's a much better experience. But if we think about a way where this technology is impacting in ways that it hasn't before, I think we see some pretty dynamic things happening in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Think about the the great example everyone uses and it's appropriate is reading x-rays. So, you know, a a radiologist can only look at so many x-rays in a day. It's a single person and it's a finite thing. And they have to find the proverb, in some cases, the proverbial needle in the haystack. Looking for a broken leg is pretty easy, but looking for the the early stages of cancer in a scan is a totally different thing. Mm 
But when you can have those triaged or screened through AI and have the problem children, if you will, brought to the top of, of the list and then apply human intelligence and then apply even some guidance on what that treatment might be, I think we're going to see an improvement in healthcare in that regard that we haven't seen before. But it's also important, I think, to call out the fact, and a friend of mine said this, he's a technologist at Rackspace earlier this year who was leading our healthcare division. And uh, and we were having the similar conversation. And he said, AI is not going to replace doctors, but the doctors who use AI are going to replace the ones who don't. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard that uh, premonition for what the development could be. And there's certainly an open avenue to interpretation and identification, I think, with that statement per se. One thing that interests me as well is like we're talking about the evolution and especially the speed of digital transformation. And you mentioned that COVID basically put on steroids because of it, this whole digital transformation movement. And we're talking especially about, you know, how the C-suite can navigate this. And we're not only talking about CEOs, but, you know, CDOs as well, that they've also had certain ambiguity about their role given the movement and the developments in generative AI. But if we're to look at maybe the CEO's role in particular in the evolution in the light of digital transformation driven by AI and the cloud, how should their role evolve? Mm. And in your own opinion, Jeff, you know, what strategies, like given our CEO's some tips here, what strategies can they employ to proactively identify opportunities for technological innovation and capitalize on them here? I love that question. So the CEOs will only, you know, they're only going to ask the question and challenge their, their, their organizations as deep as they have exposure to it. So they have to actually go back to to school in a, in a sense. I think that they need to be one using the technology personally. I mean, install Grammarly, uh, start using ChatGPT, do the things, you know, don't put your company's private information in there, but start asking questions and realize that at least the tip of the iceberg of the capabilities. Super easy to set up news feeds that show the AI news of the day. Being literate is the first step in, in all of those things. And then bringing that as a challenge to the rest of the organization. So if we're going to think about a, a couple of step process of stuff they do. It starts with their own education and awareness. And if that means bringing along a technologist next to them to bring them up to speed in a quick space, do it. Second is enabling the organization to be responsible with AI. And I think that those are two powerful words. First is enabling, and the second being responsible. At Rackspace and our offerings here, we have this offering called FAIR, the Foundry for AI at Rackspace. And a big piece of that is the responsible implementation of all of the AI projects that we do. And that includes, you know, sustainable and several different aspects. But the key here is that um, these solutions are in bounds. So it's important that the CEO get a a team together, a very cross-functional team, sales, marketing, mm. technology, legal, and put together guidelines for the organization. What's in bounds for us to use in, in AI here? What are we going to put in? How are we going to use it? We did that at Rackspace about six months ago. And then set a level of expectation for the organization. And that's around education. I think that every CEO should challenge at least their information workers, if not everyone, 
to get to some level of, I'll call it technology or AI, cap- not, not even capabilities, but, but, but knowledge. And then from knowledge to capabilities. And then what ideas can you bring? There are tons of different things that they could do to challenge their organization. And then for those product and business leaders, it should be one of those core questions in weekly, monthly reviews of these lines of business. How is technology enabling your organization? And ideally, AI is going to, going to fall into that. So. As any good CEO would be, it's not up to them to have every answer, but it's up to them to use the smartest people in their organization to help challenge and and drive that change. Excellent advice. And if this were to happen, sort of hypothetically, very well, there's the enablement, there's the development of a responsible AI framework that has been implemented cross-functionally. There's the expectations that have been set, the information workers have become more trusted worthy. I've got a word in German in my head that I can use. Like more, more in German, you'd say vertraut, but you yeah. know, they have an affiliation a little bit more with, with the technologies. Yeah. Do you think that this is one of the key components to encourage more of a culture of innovation, to ensure that, that the organization remains at the forefront of technological advancement? Because I think that what we're seeing as well is that because of the development and the mainstream explosion of generative AI, the avenues of opportunity to explore it, there's also been a lot of mimicking as in, well, someone's done this, so we'll do it as well, or we'll do it as well. I don't feel we've reached that branch of let's be innovative with it. Let's come up with something new. Do you think that if a good CEO implements everything that you've mentioned there, that they will then be able to foster and grow a culture of innovators, of innovative thinking? So there's there's two things I want to unpack in that. And the first, I'm going to take it in sort of the, the higher level first. And that is, will it drive innovation inside of the organization? And I would say that is 100% put on the shoulders of leadership because it's leadership setting the culture and the mindset that innovation is okay. Some some leaders actually don't encourage it. They want business as usual, follow the rules, here are the rules, stay in line. And we have to we have to loosen those reins a little bit. Now I think cautiously at first, we want to be very cautious with it. But if I go to the first part of what you ask and that was mimicry is usually what shows up first. And I'd say that is absolutely a first step. I'm a musician, I play guitar, but I love to pick up new instruments. And anytime I do or a new style of music, I don't start by writing music in that new thing. I don't start by creating. I start by finding the best musicians in that space and try to sound like them. And I think that we can draw that analogy here into technology and look for ways that other companies are doing it and follow suit. And then when the organization sees what's capable and then they connect the dots into their own world and they have a culture and a climate where innovation is encouraged, then we'll start to see that sort of evolution. But in the first phases, mimicry is 100% appropriate. Hmm. So let's let's move on to maybe bal- balancing then risk and reward and, and technological adoption. You know, if we're thinking about the considerations from that perspective and what a CEO or, or C-suite in general should take into account when assessing the risks and rewards associated with adopting AI and cloud solutions, yeah. what would they be? We, we've spoken about some of the rewards, but what are the risks as well? Yeah. And how do you strike that balance as well, you know? 
Yeah. So this is one of those areas where the C-suite is going to have to have a strong set of really smart technologists inside of their organization who can connect the dots to the, the actions to what the possible risks could be. And risks, by and large, are going to fall in the realm of having corporate data that is intended to be, for the corporation alone, be leaked. In other words, if we used my earlier example of, hey, I want to look at all my contracts uh, that I've done with partners and find out which ones are best. Cool. Let's load them all into chat GPT and see what we get. That would be a very bad idea in that. Now, they say with ChatGPT's terms of service, if I do that through the interface, the web interface, they say none of that stays believe it or not. But if you use the API interface and use that to load all the contracts in, that becomes part of their body of knowledge. In other words, all of that organization's proprietary contracts are now public as part of the body of knowledge of ChatGPT. So that would be bad. I think that is one of the largest risks. Secondary risk is if you have a model that's not well-trained and you're asking it questions and it's giving you erroneous data, then that's uh, lead, potentially leading you in, in your organization in a bad direction. So when we think about those risks, the risks very much are going to fall, that they need to lean on their technologists for the advice on what, what is appropriate and, and what those risks could be. There's maybe something that you want to share towards the end of our conversation here <laughs> <laughs> that, you, that you would like to share, having pondered on the questions I've asked you, yeah. the journey that we've taken in, in this short time. I think the the heart of it is, like I said earlier, it's uh, AI specifically is a technology that's here to stay. And I think that everyone, everyone, technologist or not, employee or not, or you are human with a pulse, I think you've really got to become smart with what's happening in this space because it is right now impacting your life and will impact it more in the future. And the more that you can be literate in that space, the more you can understand what those impacts would be for you. Now, as a technologist, for me, that is like, oh, cool, what's new? And I get to learn. This is this is right in my wheelhouse. And I get to apply it from things, like I said, from these you know, multi-thousand people organizations to my, you know, 20 or some odd chickens out in the C-suite in the backyard. Let's say that it's stuck. The chicken coop is now the C-suite. But, you know, there, there's so many resources. It's so easy to find them. You can find great resources over on YouTube and just, you know, simple little requests of what's new in AI. And I would encourage everyone to go to ChatGPT and create a free account and just play with it. They say that stuff gets flushed every day. So don't, I mean, don't put in personal data, but I, I, I've got a little podcast that I do as well over here and I do a live stream once a week and I use those tools to create the titles and descriptions. You know, it doesn't write them for me. We, it's a 30 minute back and forth with it to create that stuff. But start using these tools in your everyday because they will make you better as an individual. Even for, you know, Lauren, we talk about these progressive organizations that are using it. Don't wait for your organization. I mentioned there are tools that you can and should be using today. I love to use Grammarly because I'm a horrible speller and I get and I get moving, my brain gets ahead of my hands when I'm typing and it, it helps me so much with the way I'm, I'm writing my stuff. And I'm an English first speaker. But uh, so that's what I would say. Be be educated in the space and start utilizing the tools today. Yeah, I think it's it's wonderful advice, Jeff. And I'd certainly mirror that notion of taking destiny into your own hands mm -hmm. and taking every opportunity that you have to ensure that you are open to exploring the opportunities and to empowering yourself, especially in a world that is changing, that is changing with um, the development of tech and the integration of AI 
into our everyday lives. It's been fascinating and I really enjoyed the conversation, Jeff, and I want to thank you again for being here with us. And I'd like to thank everyone else that's been a part of today's conversation and that's listened to this episode. If you want to find out more about AI, machine learning, NLP and certs, then go to the squirreloacademy.learn.squirrel.com. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much, Lauren. It was a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you.